Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Countdown from Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts for this series, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today, our journey through the Star Wars galaxy reaches its conclusion as we review Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Written and directed by Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi continues the saga of Rey, Finn, Poe, and BB-8 right where The Force Awakens left off. As foreshadowed at the end of that film, Rey, played by Daisy Ridley, has located the so-called Last Jedi Luke Skywalker, played by Mark Hamill, on the distant planet of Octu. Unfortunately, however, Luke is initially unwilling to help the Resistance or to help Rey harness her own Force powers, and the pressure is on Rey to change his mind if the Resistance is to be saved. Meanwhile, back with the Resistance, Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia is out of commission, and Vice Admiral Holdo, played by Laura Dern, is forced to step in and take command of the Resistance fleet, a decision that leads to a clash with Oscar Isaac's Poe, who disagrees with Holdo's strategic plans. And meanwhile, Finn, played by John Boyega, and Rose Tycho, played by Kelly Marie Tran, are secretly tasked by Poe with locating a mysterious codebreaker on the gambler's paradise of Canto Bight. And meanwhile, Adam Driver's Kylo Ren is still grappling with his decision to kill his father, even as Supreme Leader Snoke is pushing him to bring about the same fate for both his mother Leia and for Rey. Jay, we'll start with you. It's no exaggeration to say that The Last Jedi is the most experimental and most controversial Star Wars film to date. Which side do you come down on in the never-ending debate over The Last Jedi? This one was really tough. I actually had to watch this movie twice uh, to to really, I mean, think about it, right? I mean, this movie is so different in so many different ways, and I'm sure we'll get into that uh, shortly. Ultimately, you know, I think it's a good movie. There are some things I absolutely love about it, um, but there are some things I absolutely hate about it. And that doesn't make it a bad movie, you know, but... You can call I, it a I bad just, movie, Jay, if you no, want no, to. No, no, and I, I actually don't think it's a bad. I actually gave it a pretty good score, but it's one of those things that I feel like I did so begrudgingly, and that like, okay, like you know, you did like it was a good movie, but I I just wish so much of the plot had either gone differently or just found myself scratching my head over it. Not with the plot and the character developments, and we'll get into that. But you know, like it was a good movie. I won't say that it wasn't, but I just wish they had done so much differently. If that makes yeah, sense. you can you can say that it isn't a good movie. I'm just letting you know. That, you can say that no, you don't have to agreed. begrudgingly say it was agreed. Good. And no, no, no. And I mean, there's a difference between thinking something is good and liking it, right? Sure. So that's where I land. Okay, a reasonable take, uh, Scott. What about you? Yeah. So this is so this is the first time I've seen the Last Jedi since I saw it in theaters almost exactly two years ago. So it it had some time to gestate, and I think. I mean, obviously, when I right before I saw it in theaters, I like the night before rewatched The Force Awakens was so high, really enjoyed it in the theater. It it's a shame, Jay, that you don't get to see this movie in theaters because I think this maybe is the kind of pinnacle of of Star Wars visuals that we've seen so far. There's some absolutely incredible shots in this film, in particular, uh, that we that I'll probably touch on later on in the show. But a, a beautiful film. But you know, I I wasn't lukewarm on it by any measure. I thought it was great at the time. Uh, not a masterpiece, nothing, nothing like the rest of the series. And then revisiting it here, uh, actually earlier today, this morning, and I thought that it was absolutely spectacular, absolutely incredible. Uh, it's you know, I, I don't know what the, really the difference was 
between this between the first viewing and the second viewing. I was telling Scott before before we started recording that I it's I've rarely felt such a strong positive swing on a on a rewatch with maybe one exception of like Black Klansman last year. When I rewatched that film, I, I loved it even more than I did the first time. And that's because I think that so much of the narrative arc of you know Luke of some of the other more I guess what you might call tangential characters to the these like core three new or four new people of you know Ray Finn Kylo and uh, Poe I think that you know we can talk about those characters I mean we will talk about those characters individually but I think one of the things that a lot of people really had qualms with uh, at least the people who didn't like the movie so much and, and Jay maybe this is where you sit as well but we'll get into all of this is the arc of, of Luke's character in particular. And on the second watch, I don't know, just everything about Luke's character really worked for me. And I think that that's ultimately what catapulted this movie in, into that kind of next tier of Star Wars films. And overall, again, like the visuals in this in this film are amazing. Um, I think the performances are all really strong. I think all, all the performances that were really strong in The Force Awakens carry over here to The Last Jedi. And if they don't stay solid, I think they even improve. And I think that's because... Uh, the key character here, the characters that you're really invested in, or at least that I was really invested in, that I really cared about, and that the movie hinged on uh, them being good, worked for me. Yeah, you know, Scott, I have oft said about these movies, and probably said it on this podcast series as well, that um, I am not a, one of the Star Wars fans who is so married to the idea that everything has to be tied into canon and has to, you know, follow everything perfectly um, and everything has to, you know, sync up together perfectly in the Star Wars universe, uh, because I think that that's especially difficult when you're working with a lot of different filmmakers, as we have seen here between Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams um, with The Force Awakens. Um, I, all I want really from these movies is a good movie, like a quality wise, a good movie. I don't care as much about I mean, you know, it can't just completely abandon the stuff we love about Star Wars, but um, I don't care about every little thread connecting uh, up. And I think that this movie sort of tests my philosophy a little bit on that because there are a lot of things that um, we see for the first time, a lot of ideas um, that have never really appeared in any other Star Wars film, some stuff with the Force, some people possessing the Force that um, perhaps we we never really knew about. Um, and just some a lot of different ideas that... Um, you know, a lot of people reacted poorly to because uh, they seemed a little bit out of sync with, you know, what we know from the Star Wars canon up to this point. However, at the end of the day, where I do come out on this is that it is a great movie. Um, it's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but there's a reason I'm wearing a Last Jedi shirt right now. Our podcast listeners won't be able to see that, but I am wearing a Last Jedi shirt. Um, and I, it's because I love this movie. I Loved it when I saw it in theaters the first time. This is my third watch, I believe. Um, and I felt pretty much the same about it uh, with every watch. Again, not my favorite, but um, pretty high up there. I, I really enjoy this movie because it is so different. E you know, e Even though there are some things um, which Star Wars fans, I think, rightfully roll their eyes about a little bit. I, I mean, there, there are some things which don't work in the movie, and we'll talk about that. But for the large uh, majority of the film, I, you know, I was very captivated by the vision that Ryan Johnson had. And, you know, again, the, the unique uh, stamp that he puts on this movie, because I'm not sure there's another Star Wars movie where you can look at the movie and say, wow, this is a product of the director's imagination. Like the director feels 
somewhat invisible in a lot of these movies. Um, and you can absolutely cannot say that about The Last Jedi. Like Ryan Johnson's stamp is all over this. The sense of humor, which I think gets on my nerves sometimes, this is one of my complaints about the movie, um, is there from the very beginning. That is obviously Ryan Johnson's. There's this whole sort of philosophical um, exploration that we get with the Ray and, and uh, Luke training s sequences that are like, it, it's almost like, Eastern philosophy, like it, it, go, it get, gets way out there at certain points. Um, and, you know, it's not what you expect to see from Star Wars. There's some action sequences that are the choreography is just off the charts. Great. And some of these action sequences, including there's one sequence. I mean, it, it's probably not that much of a secret which one it is, but it, that's my favorite. That is my favorite action sequence in all of Star Wars. And we'll talk about that. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, Scott, the arc of Luke's character um is something that has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, um, particularly what happens at the end of the movie to this character. And I mean, we'll talk about it, but I, did, I, I can't fully understand their perspective on uh, thinking maybe that Luke some has somehow taken a coward's way out or something at the very end. Um, I think that um, his death is a very heroic uh, into, you know, this arc that we've seen over so many movies now. Um, and I think that, you know, all of the new characters that we see in, in The Force Awakens come back and are, are just as compelling and just as great. We get a little bit more uh, of Finn. We get a little bit more of Poe um, than we got in The Force Awakens. And I think all of that stuff is great. Um, this is just a really um, creative and uh, like I said, it's a movie where you can see the director's stamp on it. And that's not something we get a lot of in Star Wars. Uh, and so I think that's really exciting uh, for Ryan Johnson's career going forward. Obviously, we've seen another one of his films this year um, with Knives Out. That was really good as well. Um, but I don't know as far as the future of the Star Wars universe, who knows when we will get something like The Last Jedi again, because the because the reaction was so divisive. Uh, I think that Kathleen Kennedy and all the people over at Lucasfilm are going to be very hesitant to put someone like Ryan Johnson at the helm of a Star Wars movie um, again in the future with whatever the next trilogy, next series of films we get is. Um, and so I am always going to look back on this movie fondly for what I think it adds to the Star Wars universe, which is a lot. Um, with that, I think we could uh, get into the cast Um we have, you know, a lot of similar cast members returning from the last film. Of course, I mentioned all of those up front. Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Carrie Fisher is back as Leia. Um, some additions that we get in this movie. Obviously, Mark Hamill coming back as Luke Skywalker. We saw him for just a second at the end of The Force Awakens, but uh, has, has a, you know, full performance here in this movie. Laura Dern as Vice Admiral Holdo. Um, Billy Lord shows up as Lieutenant Connix, uh, Kelly Marie Tran as Rose. Um, these are just some of the new performances, new characters. Jay, is there anyone uh, who stuck out to you from the new cast and did the old cast deliver in the same way that they did for you in The Force Awakens? Well, I'll go back to the old cast first because I think the biggest positive jump for me uh, comes from Adam Driver's Kylo Ren. I, I liked him so much more uh, in this movie and, you know, to... Scott Shelton to credit you uh, for you know mentioning this during our last uh, recording. You know you mentioned we would need to see a little bit of the you know masked like hothead, not really that able to be taken that seriously. At least that's how I saw it. Uh, you know Kylo Ren before he you know takes off the mask and becomes a little bit more emotionally complicated in this movie. I felt like explored that really well, um, and I I really liked him. Um, that was a big big jump for me. 
And as far as the new cast, anyone that stuck out to you there? Um, not especially to be like totally honest with you. I mean, if you want to count like, you know, Mark Hamill coming back uh, as a new cast member, I mean, you know, in the most literal sense, then, you know, obviously I think he gave up a, a good performance. Um, and I guess to touch on my feelings on Luke Skywalker's arc, I thought, you know, his ending was fitting. I so don't wish they had started him where they did though. And, you know, maybe that's where I, you know, agree with some of the people who didn't like the movie, but to me, like I had just such a hard time accepting that Luke Skywalker, you know, became the person we saw at the beginning of this movie. Um, you know, again, like where it went from there, I thought was really good. But again, it was the kind of thing that just getting off the ground for me was difficult. Um, and I don't know, even like visually, there were just some scenes, you know, that scene where he goes over, like, you know, milks that creature and then just drinks while looking angrily at Ray. Like, I'm, can, I'm just standing there like, that's Luke Skywalker? Like, you can get the blue milk at, uh, at Galaxy's Edge. If you I'm got sure it, if you got I could. Um, and yeah, just that shot of him just like chugging it angrily while staring <laughs> at her and thinking, I'm not going to train you. I'm like, what happened to you, man? And obviously, you know, we found out to a point, right? Um, I don't know. I had, I had such a hard time getting on board with that if you guys feel similarly or not we'll we'll get into luke uh i do want to cycle back and ask you about one person though because one of the more controversial characters in the movie is rose uh played by kelly marie tran a lot of people not a fan of this character um some some of it i think probably has to do with people's uh prejudices which uh is obviously we don't want to even give those people the time of day but a lot of people just feel like this is kind of a useless character um and don't really think she adds very much to um, this movie. What are your feelings? Did you feel she was a worthy addition? Not so much. Somewhere in the middle. Liked her at the start. You know that first scene where she, you know, is kind of f- like fangirling over Finn, and then upon realizing he's leaving, you know, just like no chill, just shocks him. I'm like, all right, awesome. And like overall, I I thought she added stuff to the movie, but I honestly just didn't care that much for the actual plot of the whole going to the casino, like the. That whole side plot, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, because I have things to say about it, but I didn't really care so much for, like, that whole side adventure, um, but I thought, you know, the role she played in that was good. I thought her stopping Finn at the end was, a, like, bonkers move, um, and I get why she did it, quote-unquote. Like, obviously, it was written, but, you know, I... Huh, yeah, I didn't think too highly of that move. Um, only the second... It's only the second most perplexing uh you know wannabe hero move by a character and we'll get into that too i'm sure but i guess to answer your question succinctly i I thought she was fine um i I don't think she added too much but i I really just didn't care for that whole side quest all right scott your thoughts on the cast here yeah i I mean adam driver continues to be if you talk about that core the core group of four i mean adam driver continues to be the standout i think he's just a great villain he really is i think he's absolutely i said it last episode he's absolutely perfect for this sequel trilogy uh taking us you know taking a step far from that original trilogy and the prequel trilogy of one-dimensional villains and giving you someone who's three-dimensional in a really complex way and that doesn't let up at all you know ryan johnson just you know goes from we call it you know 60 60 miles per hour to 100 miles per hour with that complexity and you really never know um what which which way this you know, Kylo is going to twist and turn through the plot. And I still think that's true even by the end. I mean, obviously he's enveloped in, in some sort of rage 
at the end after he is, you know, he views himself as being betrayed by Ray, uh, you know, in the, in that kind of standoff after, after the, the red room or how, whatever that scene is actually called. But, um, I, I think that he's in a really vulnerable position and you still see that rage, that sort of uncontrolled or unfocused rage that, that overflows within Kylo. And I think Adam driver is just, I don't know what, it, I don't know what it is about their performance, but something about it is just absolutely perfect. I think, and he's the strongest in my opinion of that kind of returning cast of four uh, that are, that are kind of central to the sequel trilogy. So the new characters, I mean, we'll, we'll save talking about Luke, you know, Ro- Rose is, is a com- is a complicated one. I think I was definitely lukewarm on her the first time I watched. And one of the things that I was thinking about, and I think this comes with a rewatch of the whole, of the whole franchise of movies, but you know, I, I had a criticism of Finn from the force awakens. I didn't think he was that interesting of a character and that he really doesn't given much to do in terms of character development beyond being this like one, maybe two dimensional, you know, I just want to, you know, I have this kind of attraction toward Ray and I want to protect her and keep her safe Uh, beyond that. I don't really care that much about doing doing the right thing he has this sort of hero complex in some ways and i think that carries over here into into the last jedi and it would make sense if it all of a sudden it wouldn't make sense if it changed all of a sudden to be fair and i think one of the things that rose gives gives the opportunity to this character is to be more interesting i think the fact that he has to have a dynamic with rose and that dynamic is explored through most of the film i mean jay you talk about the first scene between the two of them where she's a little bit of a fangirl but also emotionally torn up the fact that her sister just died uh in, in you know destroying the dreadnought and then you go towards the end where you know you have that that final scene between the two of them where kind of like ray rescuing finn at the end of the force awakens finn is the one dragging rose back into the hangar but, you know, getting her on on life support so she can survive this battle. And I think that it makes Finn, although he's not, although I still think he has a problem of a, of a little bit of a thin character and me not finding too much nuance beyond his hero complex. I think that Rose as a character allows him, allows me to be more interested in not only Finn, but this kind of duo and, and the two of them. And uh, as much as, well, I mean, we'll talk about Canto Bite, but, you know, I think that it's a really, Rose's presence, I think, it allows Finn to be more interesting for me over the course of the film. And then other new characters, Scott. What were the other new characters, if any, that that are worth me touching on briefly? Um, who did I mention? I mean, I guess you have you have Billy Lord in there as Lieutenant. Connie. I mean, she, she was in the last movie, but okay, yeah, I just don't yeah. didn't remember her from the last. But I mean, I guess the other major one is Vice Admiral Holdo, played by Laura Dern. Oh yeah, Holdo. Sorry, yeah, I completely forgot about her. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's not at all a forgettable character because she's freaking the Queen Laura Dern. Uh, absolutely fantastic in this role. Feels again very similar to her roles in Pretty in Big Little Lies and even to some extent Marriage Story uh, as this kind of commanding figure who will take no shit from no men. Um, and I think the Star Wars universe needs a little bit of that. And I think that she has. One of one of many, admittedly, in this movie, memorable moments when she just turns that cruiser right around and light speeds it straight into Snoke's ship, which is mm-hmm. in the theater. Got to be the most WTF moment I've had. Uh, it, definitely in 2017, but one one of the most WTF moments I've ever had in theaters. Yeah, no, I like what Laura Dern brings to this role. I, I you know, at, at the beginning, her character is almost set up as a villain ish because i think that you know you're sympathizing more with um with pose position on the matter 
Um, but she, like you said, she really does redeem herself at the end by being the captain who goes down with the ship. And she has an, a couple of nice moments with Leia, which I really um, appreciated as well towards the end of her um, time on screen. And so I think, you know, Laura Dern is all, always excellent and, and she, um, and it's no different here. Yeah. Um, the may the force be with you moment between her and Leia mm -hmm. was one, the first of several times where I teared up a little bit in the film. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I mean, I, I think the performances are really strong across the board here. You all have, have touched on Adam Driver, who I think, um, yeah, we obviously he's he's helmetless for most of this movie. And um, we because well, basically he destroys after his, film, his first but, scene. Um, well, yeah, after his first scene where Snoke tells him to take it off and then he bashes it to. Yeah. Oblivion um, in the but I think we're you know, we, we can appreciate the performance more um, because of that, because we you know, we can see his face. And that's something we never got with Darth Vader, um, as we have you know pointed out many times uh, over the past few episodes. Um, so I think Driver's excellent for the reasons you all have mentioned. Um, you know, I, I'm still such a huge fan of Daisy Ridley as Ray. I think that um, she continues on here with um, the poise that I loved from this character in the first movie um, and being one of my favorite heroes in Star Wars for sure. And I mean, I, I gotta say, I think the standout for me though is Mark Hamill. I think he's really great as Luke Skywalker here. Uh, and you know, this is coming from someone who was not a huge fan of his performance necessarily in the original trilogy. I mean, obviously you like Luke Skywalker, he's one of the better heroes in Star Wars, but um, Mark Hamill's performance, I don't know if it inspired a lot of confidence in me throughout the movies, but I thought he was great here. I loved the the tougher edge to the character that you were kind of talking about there. Jay, I I did believe um, that this was, you know, this was the same person uh, because I think this movie really comes to terms with like, with Luke Skywalker aging and what he has, you know, experienced while living in isolation on this planet. And, you know, how, how his experiences, right, especially with Ben Solo, with Kylo Ren, uh, have led him to the point that he is at. Um, and I just think it's a much more realistic depiction of that Jedi Master character because, like, you think about Obi-Wan, right? Like, he, in the in the prequels, he's, by the end, he you know, he's the wise old master. And when we meet him in A New Hope, he's still the wise old master, even though, you know, 40 years have passed or a, a lot of years have passed between episodes three and four. Um, and there's just not a lot. The character doesn't change very much. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think that, you know, th that shows off the acting, which is great that they're able to, you know, keep keep things consistent there. But at the same time, you know, there's part of me that's like something has to have changed for this character over this, you know, period of time that's passed. He's been living on Tatooine. He's kind of been living in isolation, just like um, Luke has um, in, in on Octo. Octo. Um, but he's not. He's kind of the same guy. And and you definitely can't say that about Luke here. He's a completely different person because I think that time and his experiences have really changed him. Uh, but then this call to heroism really gives him one last chance um, to, you know, go out on a high note and um, wind back the clock to, you know, the Luke Skywalker that we see in the in the original trilogy. And I really appreciate that. I think that um, Mark Hamill was excellent uh, in this film. Uh, and I really like what they did with the character. Yeah, I, I think Mark Hamill, I mean, you talked about, I told, I said that I'd save until when we start talking about Luke's arc. And that's because I think that if you had to pick one standout from the film, I think for me, it also is Mark Hamill. I think that, you know, I also wasn't the biggest fan of his 
performances in the original trilogy, although I think he was on a constant upward trajectory over the course of that trilogy, improving movie to movie to the point where I thought he was he was good by by Return of the Jedi. And then this performance is it's not even close for me. I think this is by far his best performance in Star Wars. And it's because he's given a more nuanced, complex character who has to deal with the, with the fact that, you know, in the 40 intervening years between the return of the Jedi and the force awakens, he failed. Yes. They won. They won the battle or war, however you want to put it against the galactic empire. But the, he was unable to, to, you know, kind of reignite uh, the Jedi order and restart that and, and rekindle that after it was, you know, destroyed at the end of episode three. And I don't know for, for me, the fact that he failed in that way. And especially now, you know, one of his apprentices being kind of the, driving force behind that failure. I Luke was always the kind of person who had in a different way than Finn, but had a hero complex and like would take things personally when things didn't go according to plan or he, you know, he felt like it was his fault. I always saw that. I always felt like I saw that in him in the original trilogy. And that's why to me, you know, that first scene between Ray and Luke on act two, where he throws the lightsaber over the side of the cliff uh, like that, that is believable. Once you get the context over the you know, next 30, 45 minutes hour of the movie and where Mark Hamill takes that over the course of the film and the, and you know, the hurt and the guardedness that becomes vulnerability, you know, that scene in particular with, you know, with Yoda and the tree, I think that well, one, it mirrors another scene uh, from earlier on in the movies or in the movies, in the movie with Kylo hesitating to shoot Leia, he hesitates to burn down the tree in the library and Yoda has to do it for him instead. And I think that one, that's a brilliant parallel. I think when you think about those two things that are happening, but two speaks to, again, you know, he, he has this, you know, guarded rough exterior, but in that moment, he's very vulnerable. He's not ready, even though he says he is and acts like he is, he's not ready to give up on the Jedi. And even though he burns down the tree and burns down the library, he does go back and, and shows that he has faith in Rey and faith in the Jedi um, to still continue to try and find a way to bring balance to the Force. And this arc in particular, uh, I, th I think the movie hinges on this arc. I think that you like or don't like this movie based on what you think about Luke's character uh, in this film. Yeah. You know, there are other parts you can like or dislike about the film, but whether you think the movie is good or not, I think is, is contingent on this character arc. And this character arc, the more I think about it, and especially on this revisit, I think it's perfect. Yeah, and and I mean, you can also draw the same parallel, I think, that I was drawing with Obi-Wan with Yoda, which perhaps is the better comparison since we're talking about the second movie in the trilogy, right, which is exactly when Yoda returns in the original trilogy. Um, just like, you know, Rey seeks out Luke, Luke seeks out Yoda in uh, The Empire Strikes Back. And again, I think that the Yoda we see in The Empire Strikes Back is not very far removed um, from the Yoda that we see in the prequels. Okay, he's a little bit older and he's aged, but you don't really see that, right? Because Yoda is always old as hell in these movies. So, uh, I mean, it's pretty much the same old Yoda. And uh, yeah, maybe at first he's acting like this kind of kookier version of himself, but that's just because he's, you know, he's putting on an act for Luke. Um, and, and eventually, you know, the true Yoda comes out. And so I just appreciated seeing what I felt was a more realistic and believable change given what we know, what we learn has happened over the you know course of the years between the Return of the Jedi and the sequel trilogy, um, I, I just felt like it made more sense to me. Even if it is, yes, definitely harsh to see this person that you know was our hero in the original trilogy turned into kind of a bitter old man, at least at the you know beginning of the movie.
All right, Jay, let's hear, let's hear your side of this. Come on, get in here, get in the ring. I mean, what is there to say, right? I mean, you, you made some good points. Um, I, I like, you know, your your callbacks to old Luke, and you're right. You know, he he probably did take things like quite personally, and you know, maybe that makes sense. But I don't know. It's just the fact that he was so just, you know, cold at the beginning to Ray, and even after the scene with R two, where he shows where R two shows Luke the old recording of Leia, and you know, he's like, ah, like you know. That was a low, a cheap trick, whatever he said, you know. And I'm like, okay, like maybe he's gonna turn things around. And he kind of, I mean, he starts to, you know, mentor her a little bit, but still with this, you know, this like idea of like, you know, I'm giving up on the Jedi. And of course, he turned around by the end. Um, I don't know. I, I, I honestly just thought there would be more hope coming from him. Not to use that word as many times as the movie, as many times as this movie does. Rebellions are built on mini gripe I had with this. No, but this movie uses the word hope so many times. My God. Um, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, again, like, I, I'm not saying it was Well, Jay, bad. I don't know if you noticed, but they're in a bit of a tight situation and, and they really needed some hope in this one. I know, <laughs> but like, I don't know. When when Oscar Isaac is, you know, like, you know, tell us, like, you know, like when he's yelling at Holden, you know, like, tell us that there's hope. And I'm like, that line just felt so forced. And it was probably like the 50th time the word hope had been dropped by this point. It was a lot for me. Um, in any case, yeah, I mean, my, my bottom line with Luke is, you know, the way they went with him wasn't bad. I, I just, I wished, you know, he had been more of a hopeful person, but maybe he was just flawed in that way, in a way that I hadn't really thought about, uh, you know, until we started talking about it right now. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll get to his death scene in, in a little bit, but uh, I do want to talk about a couple other things first, um, including the action sequences. Let's let's go to something I think that we can all agree probably are spectacular in this movie. Um, the one that I was alluding to earlier um, was, of course, the the scene with the red guard. But the choreography in this scene is incredible. Um, it is like watching a ballet, honestly, the way that this fight scene plays out, and the, you know the the ambiance of the red room, the red guard, the, you know, their costumes and everything. Like it is just perfectly synchronized. Like I said, it's like watching, you know, poetry in motion practically. Um, and of course the, the ending of the scene with uh, the ending of the fight with Kylo igniting the lightsaber into the guy's face will never not be awesome. Um, that's, that's just great. Uh, but then another scene that I really like is the opening action sequence with uh, particularly the, the, with Paige Rose's sister, um, trying to get the detonator um and you know there's this really suspenseful sequence where she's kicking the you know wall trying to get it to fall down and then she has to catch it and i think that's a really brilliantly staged sequence uh did y'all enjoy those sequences were there others that stood out to you jay i did um i really did enjoy those um and scott you already mentioned the scene uh with you know the light speed uh, when she turns the cruise around and that, that one shot, like, you know, was pretty nuts. Like, you know, it was definitely a moment where like I stopped moving and breathing for a sec. I was like, Oh my God. Um, and yeah, no, to, just to go ahead and spoil this, the scene in the, uh, the red room is probably my favorite scene in this movie. It, I love a good action sequence that doesn't feature too many cuts. Um, that entire sequence probably had fewer cuts than 10 seconds of black widow fighting in civil war. Um, it was, you know, to quote you, Scott, like it was like ballet. It was absolutely stunning. Yeah. So, I mean, the the Red Guard fight scene. Actually, I'll even back up for a second. I will say this is the only 
episode like episode star like Star Wars episode movie, so not counting Solo and Rogue One here, that doesn't have a single scene where two lightsabers touch each other. There like there's no lightsaber duel in this movie. And so it's almost it's ironic that this has one of the best action sequences, if not the best action sequence in the franchise. And that is the scene with with the Red Guard. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's you know, whenever whenever a fight scene is heavily edited, we all understand why, because one, they have to keep, you know, keep usually have to keep a lot of faces out of it because they're using stunt doubles, things like that. But, you know, Ryan, Ryan Johnson's not about that. And I think the way that he choreographs the scene, I, I'm really just preaching to the choir here and, and and sort of repeating what you guys have already said. It's a it's a great, great, great scene. And I and I love the moment where these just from a character arc as well, where you have Ray and you have Kylo and you have these two people who are so convinced that the other person is not going to let them down uh, in the scene that, you know, they can like lay aside the fact that they are both going to let each other down and kill Snoke, fight off, you know, the red guard, things like that. I mean, we'll talk about Snoke's death here in a second. I'm sure Uh, uh, this is a a kind of a precursor to that, but again, the choreography of the scene, yes, some of the best that you'll see in a star Wars, maybe if not the best choreography, because, you know, honestly, not too many of the, of the scenes in Star Wars are that choreographed. I mean, yes, some of the lightsaber duels absolutely are, uh, but I don't. In terms of scale and the number of people involved with a particular scene, I don't think anything is choreographed as well as as this the scene in, in the red room is, and uh, it's just it it works well, especially as it's like the only fight scene with Ray uh, in it. So it, it's it's a moment where uh, you get to see her in action. Yes, she you know she does. Uh, she does take the gunner seat in the Millennium Falcon briefly in 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 one or in one scene or two scenes, but it, this is really the act like this is the set piece in the movie, right? As as much as I love that first scene in the Dreadnought, I remember I was I was writing my letterbox review and I turned on the movie and I was like, wow, I forgot how freaking awesome this opening sequence is. First, of course, with with Poe um, kind of messing messing with that uh, General Hux, and then you know going through and and shooting down all the cannons off the off the dreadnought before they do move send in the bombers. But then yes, absolutely. The the scene with Paige Tico and the tense that, you know, the intensity of that and uh, you know, the slow motion and, you know, not always the biggest fan of slow motion here, but the slow motion that, you know, with the detonator dropping and she, then she reaches down after it goes past her and grabs it, you know, presses it. And then the whole, you know, bomber explodes around her uh, after the bombs are dropped. I think it's a, it's a beautifully shot sequence and, really emotionally um yeah especially, know, ca- captivating especially considering like we don't know who this character is like this yeah. is a character we've been introduced to like 10 minutes earlier she doesn't even have any lines i don't less think. than that um no. maybe she has like one or two lines but and then we see this act of heroism and like you're right scott it, you're, you're right scott it is emotionally uh, captivating which i think just goes to um ryan johnson's strength as a storyteller the way that he's able to set up her arc with just 10 minutes here and make us connect to this character. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, I think it's even, I think it's, it's less than that. I mean, she probably only has a few minutes on screen, yeah, which is absolutely right. remarkable. And then I will say one last thing, going back to the red guard scene. Oh, one of the things that makes me laugh a little bit, but I also just love about it is that it, the scene starts in slow motion. And then you're like, Oh God, you get really concerned that there's just going to be a lot of slow motion in the scene. And then it automatically like speeds back up to a hundred percent. So I was like, yeah, good one, Ryan. That was good. That was a good touch. Yeah. Um, and since we're talking about the red guard scene, I think we might as well transition into sort of the other part of this scene, which is, you know, one of the more controversial, another one of the more controversial elements of the movie. And that is, uh, Kylo killing Snoke, um, you know, Snoke being set up as this supreme overlord, of course, of this new sort of, um, Sith. 
Um, and yet, uh, dying him dying halfway through the second movie, a lot of people felt like the character was basically rendered pointless. We didn't learn very much about the character and that they didn't understand the purpose of this character if they were just going to kill him off halfway through the second movie. Um, also in that scene, something else important that happens is um, Ray and Kylo have a confrontation about Ray's parents. Um, and Kylo says, you know, you, uh, you, know, you know the truth. You know, they were, they were no one. And Ray says they were no one. Um, they were junk dealers is basically what, what Kylo says. Um, and so of course there's, there's, you know, from the very first movie coming out from force awakens coming out, there's a lot of speculation about who are Ray's parents. Is it, you know, it's It's, is it Luke? Is it someone that we know in the star Wars universe? A lot of people um, are saying Obi-Wan. Right. And so a lot of, um, people were upset about this, um, you know, th this statement from Kylo that the, you know, the parents were, were nobody um, because they felt like, you know, if Ray has force powers, right? Like if Ray is going to be the next Jedi, she has to have in inherited it from someone that we know probably. And that doesn't seem to be the case based on Kylo, what Kylo says. However, um, looking ahead a little bit to episode nine, JJ Abrams has come out and said since then that we have not heard the full story about Ray's family, whatever that means. We don't know if like that means he's going to retcon everything that Kylo has said here. I certainly hope not. I think that would be uh, a bad choice. Um, but I think Jay, JJ knows that would be a bad choice too. Yeah. Well, Jay, what are your thoughts on Snoke as a character and him, him going down here? And then also this arc with Ray's parents. I think in my first viewing, I felt a lot of the thing, the negative things you described where I was kind of like, what was the point of that? Um, I think I changed my mind, you know, somewhere during the second viewing. And, you know, I think maybe that initial thing was, you know, kind of setting it up to be like, you know, a, a true trilogy where yes, you know, like the big bad who we don't really know that much about, you know, will, you know, come to a head with the main character at the end of the third. And I remember thinking like, it almost felt like whoever was writing this just changed their minds about what was going to happen after the first one and maybe even like a little bit into the second one, like they were just like, you know what, forget it. Like <laughs> we're going to do this now. And so they did. Um, upon a second viewing, I felt differently. I thought it, you know, played out really well. I liked the way that, you know, it, it led to like Ray and Kylo again, you know, like trying to believe in each other and ultimately letting each other down. Um, and yeah, I mean, like we didn't get to learn that much about him. I don't really have any gripes with that. I guess but I do like where we ended up. I will say to the point about Ray's family, um, you know, I was thinking about the earlier scenes between Snoke and Kylo and how Snoke was talking about, you know, if you, you know, play your, if you play, I can't remember the exact lines, but essentially we was saying, talking about, you know, like find a person's like weak spot and use that to manipulate them. Right. Like that was the gist of what he said. And I almost feel like for Kylo, like knowing that this is Ray's weak spot to just, you know, tell her, Yes, like your parents were nobody. I mean, for all we know, like it is true and I'm overthinking this, but it also felt like to me that this could be him doing exactly what Snoke talked about, you know, just saying, yes, your parents are nobody. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that is the full story. But again, we'll find out soon. Yeah. So for, for me, Snoke's character, I, I understand why people might have been upset about this. I mean, it was very shocking in, on a first viewing to see that happen. I mean, of course, it's kind of you kind of see it coming in the scene itself because it does show you the lightsaber turning, things like that. So you see what's going to happen. But I think one of the important things about Snoke, and, I, and I've definitely been thinking more about this and on, on our revisit of the last two movies, is like 
everyone, of course, thought of Snoke as, all right, he's the new Darth Sidious. And I think one of the endearing things about this character for me, especially on a rewatch and thinking more about it, is that everything about this character is like as much as as much as Kylo might be trying to be Darth Vader, Snoke is trying to be Darth Sidious and they both fail. And I think that's one of the like really interesting aspects of this particular character. He isn't super fleshed out, but you know, he isn't able to bring Kylo Ren to his full potential. Clearly, like if he did his job well, Kylo would be would be the next Darth Vader in, in at least in some respect. And right now he's not in any respect uh, Darth Vader. And so in some ways, you know, Snoke isn't capable of being Palpatine and that he isn't capable of, you know, he wouldn't be capable of bringing Anakin uh, in, into becoming Darth Vader. You know, he is, he's not able to bring Kylo to become or sorry, isn't able to bring Ben to becoming, you know, Kylo Ren. And, in, you know, in a similar way, you know, Darth Sidious, we like Darth, you know, Emperor Palpatine, he knows what's coming before things happen. He anticipates things so well. Emperor Palpatine, Darth Sidious would have known what Kylo was about to do. And Snoke doesn't. And I think that I remember a lot of people I feel like were questioning, you know, how did Snoke not see what was coming? If he's, you know, if he's such a powerful force user at the dark side, how do you not know that he was about to get cut in half? by Kylo lightsaber, Kylo's lightsaber. And that's because he's so drunk and blinded by his own power in the dark side uh, and trying to be Darth Sidious that I just don't think that um, he, he's just not Darth Sidious. That's just, that's just reality. And so in order for Kylo Ren to reach his potential as a villain or as an evil person, I shouldn't say necessarily as a villain, but as, as this kind of evil, you know, Darth Lord, he's going to need someone. He's going to need someone like that. And, and I think that's what makes Snoke's character really interesting, uh, even though he is a little, even though his death might be, um, you know, earlier than some would have expected. I mean, the point that I always come back to on this, you know, on this debate, Scott, you know, you're pointing out that he's being compared to the Emperor compared to Darth Sidious. I mean, we didn't find out really anything about Darth Sidious's backstory until the prequels. Like, the Emperor was not some fully fleshed out character in the original trilogy. And so I guess my point is just that there is more story to be told here. Maybe maybe we're not going back in time like we are, you know, with the with the prequels. I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe we will at some point in the future. Who who knows where I hope not. Universe. But but my point is there is still more story to be told. And perhaps in Rise of Skywalker, perhaps in future movies, we're going to get more information uh, about who Snoke really was how he came to be, you know, how he came to assume this position of power, why, you know, why, what his motivations were, certain things that just explain his behavior um, in this movie. So I am not, uh, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater yet, because I think there's still a lot of stuff that, a lot of stuff that can be established in future movies. And that's really the point I come back to on Snoke. Yes, maybe he's not as fleshed out yet, but maybe we will get there. To that. Uh, maybe we'll get yeah. there. I mean, it's possible. I really doubt. I mean, I, I kind of just hope they don't. I mean, at this point, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the point would be, at least in Rise of Skywalker, to spend too much time exploring who Snoke is unless he's going to somehow play a, a significant role in Episode 9. And for me, though, I, I, I do. The more I thought about it, the more I maybe maybe this is cognitive distance. Maybe this is trying to explain some sort of disconnect that exists. But I just think that it works well in, in this kind of sequel trilogy of, you know, villains who don't live up to, like, the sheer evil ness of yeah. people from the original trilogy because you know for whatever reason and Snoke certainly underdeveloped in a sense of understanding what his shortcomings are at Darth Sidious I think that he probably has a very interesting backstory I mean we have 40 years of time between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens for him to rise to power in whatever way that he did I mean th there absolutely is so much more story that could be told I don't know if we'll ever get that but to me right. 
where he is now and where he ends here and at least with his life, I've come to terms with that. And I think it, it, it makes a nice parallel to where, what we're seeing with Kylo as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you look at it from an emotional perspective as well, like this guy, Snoke only has one note really. It's, it's always anger and hate emanating from this character. But Kylo, on the other hand, is a much more emotionally complex character. He's mm-hmm. feeling things all over the spectrum. And, you know, probably as, like Anakin was supposed to be doing right, in episode as, two and three, as has been established from the very beginning, hate is something that does not turn, you know, when you, when you possess the, as much hate as someone like Snoke uh, has, it doesn't end well for you. And that's exactly what we see happening here with, with Kylo taking him out as for Ray's, um, Ray's parents. parents yeah. Like I said, I really like, the, the decision that Ryan Johnson made here. And, you know, again, this is one of those moments where I think people are, well, it doesn't connect, you know, right? She's got to inherit the Jedi powers from somebody, blah, blah, blah. They can't just be junk dealers. I like the precedent that this sets because I think, you know, to, to well, Anakin cross- didn't inherit them from anyone. So, right. To, well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we don't, we don't know who his father was, I guess, technically, sure. but um, to, to sort of cross the franchises a little bit here, Scott, and this is a point that I think you made in your letterbox thing. I like the idea of like anyone can wear the mask, right? Yeah, like to, to go yeah. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse a little bit on you there. Um, I, I I like this idea um, that, that anyone can wear the mask, that, you know, anyone could be, j- just because I think like, you have to remember like the kids and younger people are going to be watching this movie. And I just think it sends a better message, right? To, to kids who are going to be looking up to these characters that like to okay let's let, let me go full lord and miller here again to to quote the lego movie right like you can be the special you can be the special um and you know it doesn't matter you know where you come from ultimately your destiny and your path in life is up to you uh and i like that the precedent that that um sets and i am very concerned about what is going to happen with the rise of skywalker as much as i think this is going to be an awesome movie and i'm really excited about jj abrams coming back to direct it obviously um i have very mixed feelings about what he has said you know about ray's family and i think that if something major is done to you know tinker with what what was said in the last jedi then i will have a problem with the the rise of skywalker because i i won't be a fan of that decision making yeah i i think that that there is more i mean to, <laughs> I'm, i definitely believe jj when he says there's more to the story of who's Ray, who ray's parents are i i we will talk about theories around that for episode nine at the end of this episode after jay watches uh you know a trailer or two but i think there's more story to be told my working theory and my hope is that they're not necessarily uh, I mean, I think parent the, who who her like what her lineage is, what who her parents are is a complex thing. But I think the overall enduring message uh, that you know that I did put in my letterbox review is that anyone can wear the mask. It, it, I hope that doesn't get undermined. And I think it will take more than race parenting, you know, is her parentage to get undermined because of what you know R.J. was doing at the end of the movie with that final shot, you know, of the kid in, in on Canto Bite with the broom, you know, just showing that you know he has force powers too. And I think that. That's the important part, and, and obviously that last scene was also controversial in, uh, in terms of people thinking that it's dumb and stupid and doesn't make any sense, and you know, going going along with you know Ray's parents and the, all the other things we talked about that were controversial from you know your you know okay boomer Star Wars perspectives, and I think that I I'm hopeful about Ray's parentage. I think it is going to be more complex. Jay, I don't disagree with what you were saying earlier about 
there is a chance, even if there is some truth in what Kylo was saying, I absolutely believe Kylo is saying it to manipulate her, like a hundred percent believe that. Even even if there is truth, and that ultimately does play out that way in Episode Nine, I do believe that that is something that is a, a something that he was trying to do, that trying to manipulate those feelings. And you know, one one of those things that I think and it will be for at least for the purposes of episode seven and eight there, you know, it might take on some new evolution in episode nine, but for the purposes of seven and eight, like to me, like does do Ray's parents even matter? Like who her parents are, do they, is it even important to the story of Ray herself as far as we know it right now? Like maybe, maybe not. Cause the story is around Ray getting over the fact that she needs to worry about her parents yeah. and worry about who they are and them coming back to her. And so whether Ray's parents are Luke or Obi-Wan or junk traders who are dead in the desert in Jakku. I don't think it matters for Ray's story right now. And so we'll people see again. Want, people just want everything to link up. They want there to only be nine people in the whole galaxy. I mean, yeah, I don't understand those people at all. I mean, we can, that's a whole different separate conversation yeah. around how small this universe was made to feel like in the first, you know, three to six episodes. But you know, the, the universe is expanding. We're seeing that in the Disney plus show and the Mandalorian. We're seeing that in you know, the anthology movies that they were trying to do. And we're seeing that here in the sequel trilogy. And that's a good thing because, you know, star Wars is, is more interesting. The bigger it gets, not the smaller it gets. All right. Let's talk about Luke's death. Shall we? Yeah. Um, Obviously, another huge moment in the movie, another controversial moment in the movie. It's got someone that um, we listen to a lot is Christian Harloff, who's a big Star Wars fan as well. Uh, he hates what happens to Luke here in the end. This is one of his biggest problems with The Last Jedi. Um, okay, does, Boomer. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't feel like maybe it's the hero's death that we should get from Luke. Honestly, I couldn't disagree more, but Jay, I'd be interested to know what your perspective is. Yeah, so like I said at the beginning, you know, I don't necessarily like where they kind of started off with Luke's character, but you know, if if I you know accept that everything that happened after up to and including his death, I thought was good. And I honestly, you know, even if he had started from a more positive place, I thought him, you know, coming back, you know, like facing Kylo as this force projection and ultimately dying, you know, was a very heroic and noble end. I didn't necessarily have, I actually explicitly did not have a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, kind of kind of like I've already alluded to, I, I think Luke's arc, especially on a second rewatch, is perfect. And I think that, you know, is it is it a hero's death? Is it the death that he deserved or that, you know, we might have expected for him? I mean, honestly, no. Like, I don't even argue that maybe it's not even a hero's death because he's probably, is he, is he like, I, I think that's just not an important question is, like, is basically what I'm trying to say. Because, like, he does what he needs to do to save the resistance in that moment does he expect to die when he does that i don't know i think that's a more interesting question around like you know does projecting yourself through the force onto crate which by the way we didn't talk about action sequences crate absolutely yeah, beautiful love the, love the salt of, mines and the, yeah, all the imagery mines. there yeah all the yeah all the red salt imagery is so good uh but anyway um i think that i don't know whether he expects for that for that effort to kill him i don't know or not i think that that's a little bit ambiguous to me but regardless like he makes the sacrifice that, you know, the resistance needed to survive. They would not have survived otherwise. And I think that the way that he kind of gets the last laugh on Kylo, um, at least for, I guess, at least for now, uh, is, is fitting for his arc. And the fact that he ultimately dies is surprise. I mean, it was surprising to me. I don't think it's apparent that he is going to 
to die in that scene when you realize he's a force projection. I don't think that's something that you know is going to happen. Because yeah, right, it feels like you've you you feel like a, a moment of victory almost when you discover yeah. that it is a force projection. Right, you're like, oh, he's going to make it. Right, like we we were worried about him, and now it's fine. Right, but I'm saying not like whether it's a hero's death or not is not a question that even yeah. concerns me because it's a sacrifice that feels right. It feels right to Luke's character, and it really works within this arc, within you know what you would have expected from him across the original trilogy and this you know and Episode Eight here and the Last Jedi. And so for me, again, it's a perfect arc. I'm not really bothered whether or not it's a fitting death for Luke or not because it's what we needed from you know the greatest hero of Star Wars. Uh, of all time and the fact that he died as a result of that effort I mean that happens I mean this whole this whole episode you know even like for episode 7 and 8 you know every victory for the resistance feels like a Pyrrhic victory it's a victory at, at a great cost I mean it's explicitly said that way you know when they are able to bring down the dreadnought at the beginning of the last Jedi is that you know at what cost did we kill that dreadnought with you know we lost half our you know, half of the people that we had left to get to, you know, to destroy, we lost every one of our bombers. And I think over the course of the entire, uh, of the entire film, you see Pyrrhic victories. And so in that way, it fits tonally with the film as well. And it just, it, all of it works for me. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I really like it as well. I think, I mean, just the image of him facing down the army is awesome. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, that's the best shot in the movie. I mean, him walking out of the, out of the hangar with like the sunset and the ATATs and the ship is just beautiful. And, and getting, you know, him getting to getting to hear him tell Kylo that he is not the last Jedi um, is is awesome. Like that, you know, e even from again to, to the point we've been talking about, like he's he's jaded and bitter at the start of the movie. Like that feels like a victory for us, for Luke, because he has come so far just over the course of this movie um, in saying, no, you know what? I'm not going to let the Jedi order, um, you know, perish when I perish. There's there's a future here with Ray and beyond, um, and so I, I love that moment. And you know, ultimately, I think whether it's a hero's death, yeah, you, you make some good points, Scott. And I think the question I always ask myself is, you know, if Luke was actually there, do we think he would have done the same thing? Do we think he would have faced down the army just like he did? And I think the answer is yes. Um, I think that um, that is consistent with me for the character that that has been established with. Luke Skywalker over the course of all of these movies, I think that whether he's a projection or not, I think the decision would have been the same. Um, it's an interesting question to think about for sure, but um, ultimately I, I couldn't be more satisfied um, with the way that um, the way that Luke's arc ends and the, you know, arc that we're getting into the future with the next, uh, the next legion of Jedi that are, that are going to rise. I can't wait to see how that, how they follow through on that in, um, in the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and I and I, one of the things I didn't mention before is I love the subtle ways in which you know RJ is showing you that Luke is in a force like he's doing a force projection. I mean, well, I mean, one the first one is the fact that he survives obviously the onslaught, although we don't really know what's going on with that. But then the fact that his footprints aren't leaving the reds aren't aren't kicking up the red salt like Kylo's. The fact that they show that, and obviously the fact that he has his blue lightsaber, uh, which you know Kylo Kylo and Ray destroyed on Snoke's ship. I just yeah. think I love those. Kind of subtle hints that he is uh, a force projection uh, that I didn't pick up on in the first watch. Yeah, and I like the moment too between Ray and Leia after you know when Ray has sensed that Luke is dead, and there's just like a nice moment between the two of them accepting what has happened and uh, the fact that he didn't go out as the jaded and bitter old man that we saw him at the start of the movie. Um, and they, you know, they can take solace in that, even though he is 
gone, but no one is ever really gone, as we all know. Um, okay, as so he I'm, says, yes, there's a lot more uh, divisive moments in this movie. Obviously, um, a lot of people have feelings about what happens to Leia in this movie. You know, using the Force to keep herself alive after getting, you know, launched into space. Um, you know, there, there's the whole just the idea of Force projecting and you know, the, the Kylo and Ray talking to e each other through telepathy, basically, as, you know, out there based on what we've seen um, in other movies is, you know, that's something new. Um, Canto Bite is a very controversial sequence that a lot of people hate. Um, Jay, is there anything else in this movie? Because, you know, it did, it did seem like you had some issues up front that maybe we haven't touched on yet. Is there any other parts of the movie or characters that you want to talk about that maybe you know, relate to why you are hesitant to fully embrace this movie? Yeah, um, to, to quickly gloss over the ones you just mentioned, I mean, yeah, I can see why a lot of those were divisive. I think I have an opinion that is probably well in the mi minority, um, but I think I'm going to stick to it, and that's that Poe Dameron should be shot in the face. <laughs> um, so you were, you were team Holdo in that, uh, in that conversation? I, mean, I wasn't even necessarily team Holdo, but the fact that he first, like, you know, again, like, went and, you know, took out the Dreadnought and, you know, sacrificed all those fighters, which, you know, may be a heroic move because obviously they took something down that, you know, how often do you get to do that, like he said? Yeah, and, and you can't argue that they don't have a single chance if they don't kill the Dreadnought. Like, they all would have been blown out of the sky, you know, as soon as they got tracked through light speed um, because those cannons could have penetrated the shield. But yeah. We'll accept that. But then, yeah, yeah that, that whole scene with Holdo and the fact that, you know, he, like, you know, spurs a mutiny. And then at the end of this whole thing, you know, when Holdo's talking to Leia and she's like, I like him. It's like, no, you don't. Like, he should be dead right now. I, you know, I know, like, you know, his conversations with Leia were, you know, meant to probably stimulate growth, you know. And, you know, you're like, you're not a leader. And, you know, by the end, when he catches on to what Luke's doing and tries to find a way out rather than trying to blast his way through, you know, the army or whatever, like, showed that but to me like there was no reason poe should have been alive at that point like holdo should have shot him in the face i don't know if the resistance is in a position to be killing any <laughs> their best pilot their let best alone. pilot yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how I many mean, people is he going to be the responsible for the death of though i mean that's fair but i mean i think that again i mean i talked about this with finn earlier so i'm glad it circled back around i can talk about with poe is that i didn't think that finn or poe were relatively speaking as interesting of characters to talk about i mean maybe iconic characters in some ways the only things to point to be like this is awesome that star wars has this character but you know if you're gonna live with these characters for three movies at some point they got to be a little bit more interesting and i think that you learn a lot more about poe in this film and you know in that sense he's interesting at least like he is brash he's like some like real like even less mature version of han solo i mean again the the comparison's not not responsible probably to compare him to han solo because he is the you know he's the pilot uh, in terms of parallels, but you know, he's reckless. He's not mature at all. Like you, the, the first movie leaves you with this impression that he's really like, obviously he's this very skilled pilot and seems like this kind of mature resistance fighter resist like, you know, borderline leader to use that term that sure. he's kind of knocked down a couple pegs, uh, on by in the, in the last Jedi. And I think that whether or not that growth comes to its like natural, uh, conclusion in the rise of Skywalker, I think that's a big question mark. And I think that that's what I'll be looking for in episode nine for Poe's characters, how, how he does take those lessons that he could have learned in the last Jedi. But at least for me, like I was interested in Poe's bad decisions yeah. in this film because nothing that he did in episode 
in episode seven in the force awakens was that interesting as awesome as that first scene was and the fact that he survives is is really cool and of course he's the one who's responsible to ultimately you know killing or blowing up or destroying star killer base but nothing that he did was particularly interesting or compelling from a character arc point of view and you know here they're setting up some really strong potential for poe to grow in episode nine and so i was okay with the bad decisions and uh can understand why admiral holdo you know maybe it's a weird line to say that yeah i really like him but obviously he has a lot of heart and resistance is the resistance needs a lot of heart right now so i mean i won't fight you on that last point and yeah i mean you know maybe they'll pay it off in the next movie but it, it's mind-boggling to me that he's still alive right now yeah, I mean, I think it just goes to that sort of rebellious Han Solo streak that they're trying to give this character. Maybe they lean into it a bit too heavily um, during this sequence, but I wasn't super bothered by it. One thing which does bother me a little bit, though, and I, I hinted at this earlier, some of the humor in this movie, I think, is a little misplaced. I mean, obviously, that's something signature to Ryan Johnson's style is, you know, this sort of quirky brand of humor. Um but I don't know. I just felt like there were certain moments to me where even the, even if, you know, the things that were happening were funny, it was a little out of place. And, and an example is, you know, very early in the movie, this scene between Poe and General Hux, right, where Poe is, you know, messing with him by pretending like he's not hearing uh, Hux's message on the intercom or whatever the, you know, the walkie talkie thing that he's using. Um, and it just like it makes General Hux look kind of silly. And I think that that's not really what you're supposed to think about this character. Like, I think you're, you're supposed to think of him as, you know, a fairly intimidating um, first order general, just like, um, you know, some of the people that we saw in, in the original trilogy, like Tarkin, for example, I think he, he's a good proxy for that character here. Um, and so I think it kind of undermines that a little bit when uh, he's being, you know, toyed with and made fun of so easily by uh, Poe in this scene. I also think that some of the stuff with Luke, like messing with Ray while she's trying to, you know, channel the force is a little, uh, you know, I, I roll my eyes a little bit at that. Um, I think that's, that's just a, a, you know, one area maybe where Ryan Johnson's style doesn't particularly mesh well with Star Wars, but on the whole, I think it does mesh a lot well than uh, a lot more well than many people feel. Yeah. I, I like the humor does work for me. I, I think that a couple of those moments, like they just last a little bit too long. I think in smaller doses, uh, that the film, the, if those like brief moments just were even shorter, I think it might work a little bit better. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Maybe, maybe it just feels totally out of place, but I don't know the scene that Jay brought up at the beginning of the episode where he's like, Luke is like looking Ray dead in the eyes and squirting the blue milk into his eyes. Like, I love that scene. <laughs> that, that moment is amazing. Uh, like I wrote my letterbox review that it's just like, I love that Ryan Johnson has made this kind of like a total F you to like all of the toxic star Wars fanboys without even realizing it. Um, and really, I think he, he's, you he's, hear that Jay, you're a toxic star Wars fanboy. Come on, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, so well, I, I think I, I just think it, the humor works really well. I mean, one of the things, Jay, that I know that you said you didn't like very much that Scott briefly mentioned earlier when we talked about other things that were controversial is Canto Bite. I think that's something that is probably worth talking about as our last thing here before we head towards a wrap up phase. And this has been one of our longer episodes, but rightfully so. There's a lot to talk about in this experimental film. But Canto Bite for me. It, you know, it's it's definitely the scene or the sequence that I had probably the most problem with. I mean, and also this character of DJ. I mean, we haven't yeah, even, we have so much, talked about so much we haven't even talked Toro, about with yeah. Benicio del Toro. Like, I don't know what on earth he's doing with this character. Um, but 
you know, that character. And then also, of course, Finn, you know, going off, heading off against Phasma uh, on the ship and stuff like that. And, and the moral ambiguity of again, going back to DJ's character. Uh, but Canto Bite, like it, it's a weird sequence. Like, I don't know how necessary it is either from my from my perspective. It definitely feels the least necessary. And what is a you know pretty long movie in two and a half. It's the longest Star Wars movie. Um, two and a half hours long, over two and a half hours long, actually. And, and it, it feels like it could have been pared down even more, although you could argue it wasn't. I mean, I, I kind of looked at my watch this time and and thought about it. It's like they're not even on Canto Bite for that long. I, I it, it was yeah. definitely less time than I remember it being. And if they pared it down even more, you could say, like, what is even the point of even going to Canto Bite? But maybe that's the point you're making, Jay. You mentioned that this was a sequence that you didn't like too much. Yeah, I mean, it just felt like it was world building, but kind of unnecessarily so. And I think part of it for me, although you do mention that they weren't there for that long, to me, it did feel like it just added runtime. Um, and you'll have to forgive me, but I'm forgetting the name of the, the creatures that they ultimately freed. They don't um, name them. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm absolved. Um, I mean, they have a name, I'm sure. You could go Google it, but... <laughs> I'm sure Alex Damon knows. If you don't know them, I feel absolved. Um, the, you know, the fact that, you know, there's like a horse re- racing, like, thing going on. Like, that just felt so out of place for the world. And I don't know. I mean, it, again, like, you know, they were world building, and that's fine. Um, but given all the other stuff that was happening, and a lot of other stuff that I really liked, especially, you know, like the you know, communication between Ray and Kylo and, you know, all that, you know, everything that happened after that, you know, I loved so much. So when we were, you know, taken to this other point, I was kind of just like, why put it simply? Yeah. I think that they want it to be the cantina scene of this movie and it just falls flat. Um, I agree that this is one of the weakest parts of the movie, but Scott, I'm also in your camp that it was over like that for me, like because I was paying close attention to the sequence this time just because of all the consternation about it. And I was also surprised that like it's not a long sequence at all. Um, and yeah, so maybe to your point, they could have just trimmed it out altogether. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there are a couple of plot things that happen um, here, but uh, it doesn't it, you know, it, it's not something which like, you know, is a crippling flaw in the movie like a lot of people seem to feel that it is yeah especially when you have so much coming after it yeah as well with you know all of the high points of the movie even but i mean besides the dreadnought scene like everything else that comes after this and so it's it's annoying in that it, there's so much other good stuff around it that it, it is distracting from when you when you flip back to it but to me it's drowned out by all the other pot like much stronger positives positives that that are kind of placed around it and on a repeat viewing it didn't it didn't bother me as much because it was pretty short and then the last thing that i do want to briefly touch on and, and that's the kind of the force powers generically scott that you were alluding to you know whether it's leia force pushing herself back towards the ship or pulling however you want to uh however you want to phrase it um you know this kind of mind link that snoke is doing between ray and kylo whether it's scott you mentioned another one as well i mean my overall i i will admit and raise my hand and say the first time watching like how leia survives this to me i was just like what on earth like this doesn't feel right at all and then on second you know as we revisit the whole franchise and you think about it more and you think about this movie and its place in the whole franchise i think it, it, these new force powers that are being demonstrated to me, they actually do make a lot of sense. Now, maybe I couldn't say like, okay, this individual force thing it makes sense, makes sense. But the the fact that Ryan Johnson is introducing new force abilities uh, to to the Star Wars universe that you know 
that more things can be done with the force. I mean, to me, that makes sense. And people, you know, you're, again, we keep referencing that the people who want to gatekeep what counts as Star Wars and want like their original trilogy, uh, you know, for life are going to say like, you can't have any force powers outside of like whatever you saw in the original Star Wars movie. Yeah, uh, that, that's my favorite comment when people say, well, this isn't Star Wars. I'm like, look at the poster. It's Star Wars, whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's Star Wars, and it made over $1.3 billion, so clearly you went and saw it. Um, And so, I mean, for me, it's like the fact that there are more Force abilities that we have not explored. In in many ways, it feels like a fault of other movies for not doing it first, right? Like, the fact that this is that, you know, this is one of the first movies to introduce, like, truly new Force powers and make you think about other ways in which the Force can be used or what's possible with the Force. I mean, like, this should have been done in so many other movies. Like Force Lightning, obviously, was a big deal when they introduced that. Well, I mean, that. at the same time, you know, it's just a natural expansion, right? Like, just like Force Light Lightning was, just like some of the stuff we saw in the prequels was. Like, I just think, like, eventually you'll get you'll get tired of seeing the same old Force powers used again. It doesn't become cool anymore yeah, when you it's know not just lifting that. rocks. Yes, exactly. Um, so I'm I'm fine with it too. Yeah, I I, I think that the, the I think that the uh, consternation around Leia being able to like force pull herself uh, back into the ship separate from force powers is obviously a question mark around like, well, she hasn't demonstrated any force powers before that we know of. Um, although that, I think that's debatable. Uh, the, I think that that a lot of that would, would there would be payoff for that in episode nine is obviously a huge question mark whether there will be able to be a payoff given the fact that Carrie Fisher has passed now and was not able yeah. to shoot any scenes for Rise of Skywalker. Well, I was just going to say from a sentimental perspective, I like that it happens because obviously Carrie Fisher had passed before this movie. And so you went in thinking, you know, are they going to kill her character off some way? And then that's what it seems like they do here at the beginning of the movie. And then when, you know, you discover that she's actually saved herself, I thought that that was a nice victory, a nice sort of revisionist history a little bit by keeping this character alive, even though Carrie Fisher obviously has passed. Yeah. Scott, you do like your revisionist histories. I do. Yeah. Once upon a time in Hollywood uh, could not be reached for comment. Um, okay. Let's move into the wrap up phase for this movie. Uh, we're going to do our, our usual questions and then we'll have our final rankings of every movie. Um, Jay, your MVP from the last Jedi. It's Adam driver. Uh, he was spectacular and is definitely going to be in contention. Not certainly not a favorite, but in contention, maybe a dark horse candidate uh, for my favorite character in star Wars. Nice. Big praise. Uh, for me, it's it's Luke. You know, I, I can't remember if we ended up giving if I ended up giving Mark Hamill uh, the MVP for uh, Return of the Jedi. I'd have to go back and run the tape back to see. But if I didn't, then he finally earns his MVP status in The Last Jedi as good as Kylo is. And he is a very close second place for me. Uh, Luke, Luke takes the cake here for what he's able to do uh, in this in this one singular movie. Yeah, I hate going third on these because mine always gets taken. But um, yeah, Luke's my choice. I'll change mine to BB-8 if you want. I was going to say, we haven't given him nearly enough time, although I'm not sure we should at this point. I mean, also Porgs. I mean, some of the best scenes in the movie involve Porgs. The fact that, you know, there's a Porg just like nesting in the Millennium Falcon. And then the scene on Crate where Chewie like, yeah, like, like does his little war cry. And then you have the Porg like imitate his war cry. It's like, one of the best moments in Star Wars. Absolutely freaking love it. I do have a Porg, which I, I don't have for our video purposes, but I have a Porg in my room. Uh, the Porg is the opposite of, of an Ewok. It is the opposite of an abomination. It is one of the greatest things. That and the Crystal Foxes are some of the greatest things. The Crystal Foxes Wars. are great. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So my, I mean, my pick is Luke though. Um, for all the reasons we've talked about, I think this is a, a triumphant way for a character that starts off in the franchise, very annoying um, with, with some of his, uh, you know, whining about the power converters and all that <laughs> yeah. to see the way that he goes out in this movie is very satisfying. So Uncle Ben Luke's my MVP. All right. Favorite scene or moment. Um, I think we're all probably gravitating around the same scene here. I'll but, say something uh, different to be different. Jay. It's the red room. I, I have spoiled it already and I'm, I'm sticking to it. All right, Scott. Yeah. I mean the pork crying with, with, with Chewie, the whole, the, you know, may the force be with you moment between Holdo and Leia. I mean, there's so many fantastic moments in this film. It has some of like probably two or three, like the top five or six best moments in star Wars for me. And just to be different, I will say that that dreadnought scene, because it is also a banger. Yeah. And I'll just go again with that moment. I mentioned earlier with Luke, you know, saying that he's not the last Jedi. And then we cut to Ray and everybody, um, that's awesome. And, you know, gets you hype for the rise of Skywalker, which uh, we're going to get to see. And about a week's yeah. time, at least I am. And the ground, the ground cruisers on crate too, just skipping along with the ground and, and kicking yeah. up the red salt. Great visual. Indeed. All right, guys, let's put a score on the last Jedi. Jay, what would you give this movie out of 10? An 8.8. 8. It was a, it was a good movie. Again, I <laughs> Can know someone I, map your scores. Like, I, think, I feel like you've just given the same cool. score to every movie. No, I haven't. I haven't given an 8.8 8 to any movie. Um, I'm just saying it feels like you're giving the same score to every movie. <laughs> no, well, we'll, find, we'll, we'll rehash that in a second, second, I'm sure. But yeah. um, yeah, I mean, you know, as I've said, I didn't necessarily love some of the stuff right off the bat. You know, the more we talk about it, the more I'll think about it. I still thought it was a really good movie. Um, 8.8. Scott. You know, in many in many ways, I I always struggle to like weight my score based on do I score it based on how much I like it or do I score it based on how good I think it is. And I think that the whole point of doing rankings for our Star Wars movies is uh, to allow you to rank your favorite without having to necessarily follow your scores. And for me, I think this is a nine point six. At this at that point, you might as well just go ten. But whatever. Um, God, I mean, <laughs> there's no point for a hundred point scale. If if you're at ninety five, you might as well go to a hundred. Yeah, yeah, you're right um you're too stingy with the tens but that's fine uh 9.2 um, if you want me to change it to a 10 i'm happy to I no just that's don't fine it necessarily that's deserves fine. a 10 no that's fine um 9.2 for me i love the last jedi um i i said this in my letterbox review but you know for the people who hate this movie i'm not mad at you i don't think you're dumb i'm just sad that you cannot share in the same experience that at least that scott and i seem to have had um with this movie and see uh, you know, the special place that it holds in the Star Wars universe. But that's fine. Hopefully we can all come together again uh, over the rise of Skywalker. Um, all right, guys, rankings. Let's let's get into it. Jay, uh, build the suspense a little bit and start uh, at the bottom of your list and then work up if you uh, if you don't mind. Sure thing. At number 10 is Attack of the Clones. Uh, with a 7.1. Controversial. Right? Um, <laughs> number 10, Attack of the Clones, 7.1. No, 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 you'll, you'll remember, we have, I have this whole like sliding scale. Nothing really ever falls below a 6.5. It's very rare. Maybe like a 2 or something? Looking at you, I Thor, the Dark World. Um, yeah, uh, right above it, number 9, Phantom Menace, 7.2. Uh, at number 8, we have Solo with a 7.6. Uh, where am I at? At number seven, Revenge of the Sith, 8.4 at number six. Okay, pause. Okay. 8.4? <laughs> Again, nothing falls below a 6.5. If you, you want to yeah. just pretend my 6.5 is my zero, you can do that. 
Let's just, move past like, the scoring. Just stretch them out, okay? I, I'll never get over it. You don't have to. Okay. Um, Rogue, Rogue One was above that at 8.7. Uh, I believe this puts me at number five, five. with The Last Jedi um, at 8.8. Number four is the original Star Wars at 8.9. Number three, Return of the Jedi at 9.1. Number two is The Force Awakens, 9.2. And at number one, The Empire Strikes Back at 9.4. I think most people would probably agree with your top and bottom there. Um, so you've you've done well. Um, Scott, forget the eight in the middle. Scott, yeah, forget the eight in the middle. But yeah. Scott, um, what about you? I will not regale people with the scores that I gave these films because I honestly, don't remember. I don't remember. Um, and I didn't write them down because the scores don't matter. Listen to our reviews. Uh, anyway, so yeah, number 10, episode two, Attack of the Clones. Number nine, episode one, The Phantom Menace. Episode, uh, number eight, episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Number seven, Solo, Star Wars Story. Number six, the original Star Wars. Uh, episode four, New Hope. Number five, Sol- uh, Rogue One. I almost did your little mix-up there. Scott, one of the podcasts when we said Solo. <laughs> the Solo movie, Rogue One. Um, and number four, Return of the Jedi. That's episode six. Number three, episode seven, The Force Awakens. Number two, The Empire Strikes Back. And number one, The Last Jedi. But not a ten. Um, all right, my my list and number two was a ten. So that's that's what I was saying earlier. Is that yeah. I, I think that the the rankings that we give them the uh, in, in terms of what our favorite Star Wars movies are allows us the flexibility to not necessarily follow our scores because I think that I can like a movie even if it's not scored as high. I suppose you're right. Um, okay, our my list now. Um, and, and here's what I'll say: no, numbers ten through eight are the only movies in this franchise that I think are not good movies i would not consider them good movies and that number 10 attack of the clones of course number nine revenge of the sith and number eight solo Solo is a good movie i'll die on the hill for it it's it's fine like i said it's fine but i would not go to far as far to say uh that it's good number seven the phantom menace which is tragically underrated um my number six is return of the jedi uh my number five uh is the original star wars Uh, at number four i have rogue one at number three, I have The Last Jedi. At number two, I have The Empire Strikes Back. And at number one, The Force Awakens. I love that our list did turn out quite different from each other yeah. in the end. There was a run of time there where we were very similar. Yeah, the only, the, and I will say the only thing I like, I go back and forth on the only two that I go back and forth on is Rogue One and A New Hope. I kind of just interchange those at like my four and five slot. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty much on the same level for me. Um, but I'll go, I, I went with Rogue One higher this time just because it struck me more on the, the rewatch that we did this time uh, as yep. being great. And it's different. I think probably what gives it a leg up over the original Star Wars is that it's very different from any of the other Star Wars movies. Okay, guys. Well, we just actually took a break that none of you all will hear because of the magic of editing. Uh, but we took that break in order uh, for Jay to check out the Rise of Skywalker trailers and the footage that have been has been released so far, and uh, to get your uh, immediate reactions and thoughts. Jay, uh, do you want to briefly share your thoughts about some of the big moments? Obviously, Palpatine appears to be back. We we hear his voice in both trailers. Um, Dark Ray uh, with Ray wielding a red lightsaber is something that also happened. Um, what sticks out to you from these trailers and this footage? Lando's back, guys. That's the first thing we should talk about. Um... No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Um, yeah, the, the return of Palpatine... I mean, it makes a lot of sense. 
I mean, I, I think, I mean, I've mentioned I thought he'd be back, but then I guess I didn't really think about it when he didn't show up at all in the first two movies of the current trilogy. Um, but to have a movie called The Rise of Skywalker, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure, again, knowing nothing about it, I'm sure, I'm sure the meaning of the title has been hotly debated, but if this really is about the Skywalker family, like having a movie without Palpatine, you know, it would have been a choice. Um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that he's back. I mean that, that's a not even not only I mean hotly debated. I think one of the points that's hotly debated is what is it? What does Skywalker even mean in the title? Is is one thing that I that's been debated a lot. Like, is that like a new word for Jedi? Is like I mean, that, that, that's where I was. Whoops, that's where I was going. Um, in my head, like that's you know I think one of the more likely possibilities. Again, what do I know? But um, you know, if like Ray when she you know presumably ultimately triumphs and leads the next order of Jedi, will she just call them Skywalkers? Who's to say? Um, Dark Ray. No idea what that's about. The most interesting talking point, and the one that I was alluding to earlier in the episode with her parentage, uh, is related to this talking point. But what what do you think? Of Dark Ray? Yeah. So, I have so many questions. First of all, why is she holding a a prequel lightsaber, right? Like, that was a two-sided lightsaber. Not a one or a three. This franchise is really... Does Ray turn to the dark side? I mean, that's the first question you got to ask yourself in this movie. I mean, is that even Ray? Right? I yeah, mean, well, this this is yeah, this is what a lot of the discussion has been. Um, I mean, know, yeah. So around. instantly thinking about it, like you know, the the clones were a big part of Palpatine's whole thing, right? Like, I mean, could Ray just be a clone? Like, is that yeah, why think, he has I like an ambiguous past? Like, that seems to be the common thought about what this is but of course is it, is it clone ray not just yeah the, the going theory is that is that ray is a cl- well mike and by the going theory i mean the theory that i've read and buy the most into is that ray is a clone there are other clones of ray out there this is one of them and i think one of the things after having that theory and thinking about that and then watching the last jedi is that scene on act two Wait. in the reflection yeah. mirrors oh like are those all of the rays that exist in the world as one of the things that I was thinking about on this rewatch. Um, and I'm inclined to, to think that those two things are related that maybe this kind of like fever dream of a scene from RJ actually does fit into the, to the wider story being told here about Ray and, and her parentage. And obviously you, you then have to ask yourself, all right, well, if she is a clone and if all, you know, all these different rays are seen are clones, then who are their quote unquote, who are they right. being cloned from? And now that's a maybe even a more interesting question, right? And you know, I mean, some people have said it that be... it's Palpatine yep. mixing a lot of DNA from a bunch, all of the most powerful Jedi uh, together and creating this sort of the super um, Jedi, the super essentially the super Force user. Uh, but I don't know if if you have any other thoughts that are springing to mind or shooting off or anything that I've seen. I, I really just a think, few months at head start on you thinking about it. I think we're definitely going to get a scene that is basically like the scene in Endgame with Cap fighting himself with Ray fighting herself in this movie. I think oh, that's yeah. And then the fourth ghost building. will arrive and the cavalry yeah. will come. Of course, hundred um, percent. You need that to be an unbeatable yeah. foe, right? The Hayden, the Hayden Christensen force ghost is going to, is going to ride in hard in this. Oh movie, yeah. I'm sure. Is he the Skywalker that will rise? Who's to say? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I think that should just about bring us to the end of our uh, our series here, this Star Wars Countdown series. Um, we made it through all 10 live-action Star Wars movies. Jay is now a Star Wars expert. Uh, <laughs> we uh, 
we did it. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this series. Uh, and if you have, um, we hope you'll join us for our next series that we're going to be doing next year. The three of us, once again, Jay will be joining us to do a special countdown series in 2020. Uh, and this time we will be counting down and watching all of the films of Christopher Nolan. Um, now, this is not the same situation. Obviously, we've all seen most of these uh, movies. Um, we None of us uh, are like Jay was in this series with not having seen any of them, but we will be watching, uh, re-watching and uh, reviewing all of them in the lead up to the release of Christopher Nolan's next movie, Tenet, in July. And you can expect to hear those episodes uh, being released starting in uh, May. And we'll be going through his filmography chronologically um, and watching all of the, the movies from one of the, the greatest directors working today. So I'm really looking forward to that series. And I hope that you guys are too, uh, now that we're at the end of our Star Wars series. Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget to support our Patreon page, patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things on whatever podcast app you use. And check out all of our other podcasts, including Some Like It, Scott, where we are in the thick of the award season movies. Um, listen to, to our reviews of some of the big hitters uh, and our Golden Globes special, which, we'll, which we uh, just did this week as well. So um, make sure to check out those in the same feed where you got this podcast. Uh, and make sure to join us for that Christopher Nolan series in 2020. Until then. And most, of, and most importantly, join us next week when we talk about you know the whole reason the we did this countdown. Right. Yeah, the, this trio will be getting back together for a, a main a main some like it's got episode yeah. uh, to talk about the rise of Skywalker and talk about, you know, all the things that we got wrong in our, in our predictions and our theories. Cause one of the reasons why people, another one of the reasons why people hated the last Jedi so much is because it, it didn't jive at all with any of the fan theories that people had. So we'll see if people lose their mind for that reason too. Although JJ's usually delivers on making sure people get what they want. So. Indeed we will. So that, uh, that is in, uh, about, we'll, we'll be out about a week or so after you hear this episode. Um, and we hope you'll join us for that on the some like it Scott feed, uh, until then for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey, and we will see you next time.